0: Welcome to the Millionaire Mindcast, where we broadcast weekly interviews with millionaire minds from across the globe to empower you on your journey of unlocking a rich and fulfilling life. It's time to unleash your millionaire within. Now, here's your host, Matty A. What's going on, Millionaire Mindcast fam? Welcome into today's show. Yo, yo, yo. My brother, Mr. Breedwell. What's up, guys? Coming in hot from a great weekend.
1: It was beautiful this weekend. We sucked up an extra hour. Yes, we did. We we binged for, even though the state, you know, our state's a little crazy. We get chances to take away taxes and we vote to keep them. And by we, I don't mean I. And then we get, then we vote to get rid of daylight savings. (laughs) And somehow the federal government tells us that we can't do it. Gang, gang. Welcome to... Love it, love it, love
0: it. (laughs) California, <laughs> <I> <laughs> California, it. It it California, where it's funny. I see people like posting across the, the country right now, like bitching about their gas prices. I'm like, motherfucker, come to California. I saw
1: somebody bitching about it was fifty
0: dollars to fill up
1: my damn beast. Somebody out here in the Midwest is like $3.90. Right? I was like, yeah, I remember 10 years ago when $3.90. Ah, shit, was we haven't seen
0: threes in California we we for have a like, while.
1: We have 74 cents of state taxes on each gallon. I mean, there's no way we're going to make, we Back down to there.
0: Well, we are excited to be back with our Millionaire Mindcast fam. We've got a lot of great stuff to cover today. News, of course, on what's going on with Ukraine, Russia, breaking news with China and some narrative coming around what their plans are for Taiwan. We've got some uh, interesting stuff that's going to be happening this week in real estate with interest rates yep. and how this might tie into your investment strategy moving forward. We've got some Conversations today around life insurance and why right now is an amazing time to be thinking about putting any stale money into vehicles that can be leveraged in a very intelligent way to continue building your wealth, especially in times of high inflation, um, in times of rising interest rate markets, in times of really like, I saw last week Goldman Sachs posted uh, they upgraded 35% chance or likelihood of the U.S. going into a recession. Mm-hmm. Whether that happens or not, I think we're in a very interesting yeah. um, financial season uh, of global markets, U.S. markets. Then you know you narrow it down into particular vehicles or niches of uh, you know financial um, vehicles and instruments being really needing to be properly leveraged and, yeah. and used right now to yep. not only protect your wealth, but these are great opportunities too to gain some ground when people are really running scared or they're not following their investment strategies or plans in the proper ways. And so we're gonna be talking about that today with Mr. Breedwell. If you guys are new to the show, welcome. We talk all things money welcome, on welcome. this podcast financial freedom, and really unlocking your definition of a rich life, not just financially in your bank account, but in all areas of your life. But let's be honest, it all starts in your bank account. Your bank account. So with that being said, how was your weekend, brother?
1: It was good. Um, just hung out, just had my parents up this weekend with my brother, had some dinner, um, did some errands, Nothing crazy. It was a little bit of a lazy uh, lazy weekend. It was a long week, so I took some some R&R this weekend. It's had, nice
0: to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was pretty tired on Saturday and Sunday, so I had some good... I think I, like last night, I think I literally was in bed at 8 o'clock asleep. I was exhausted. But it's just busy. There's a lot of stuff that I'm keeping abreast on. There's a lot of news that's changing by the hour. We're doing, you know, oh, hey, it's... You know the the investment uh, board is meeting. Hey, hey, they're talking about this, so I'm getting updates on that. So it's just a bit. Bu- it's a busier time because we're just making sure that we keep an eye on the clients' money. We're drafting emails to uh, if anybody is my client. You should have been getting emails, just giving you updates on where we're at, some market commentary. I got my I got my emails from Capital Planning Group. You saw, Mister. Yeah, me, me and Philly. Um, but yeah, we set that out. Just to you know, let everybody know that we know what's going on and it's not a fun time when the markets are red. But if you've been listening to me for long enough, you, uh, you know that I'm, I'm a good long-term forecaster. I still see the market uh, rebounding here probably in uh, the second half of the year if we don't hit some of those big triggers for recessionary fears like Goldman was talking to. And those triggers are always there. They're not not They're almost ever-present or omnipresent, however you want to call that. Um, And it's just sometimes that we get indicators that spike them and make it important for us to take track. The one thing that still hasn't happened yet, and it's going to happen this Wednesday, is our first hike in interest rates. And when interest rates hike, it's a sign of a healthy economy and it starts to pull that stuff into um, kind of the, it rains it in. So, the media will talk about the current because that's what they do. And a lot of you people that call in or sometimes listen to our show, you get a lot of your information from the media. And I would just warn you that's not, you know, that's old news. And a lot of the stuff that we talk about is uh, fast moving and ever changing. So, we try to keep a fresher approach and say, hey, you know, absolutely the market's down. Yes, there's this going on. Um, But as I mentioned in that email last week, 80-plus percent of companies reported positive uh, have reported earnings so far in this, this current earnings season with uh, 77% of them beating estimates. That is ultimately what drives the market up, folks, is earnings. It really does. Um, in the short term, I know that there's volatility because of this invasion, but I am fairly certain that we should have a very moderate or, or moderately good market as long as things pan out the way that they're supposed to, we can't control if another country does something, uh, if there's geopolitical tensions or stuff like that. But all that aside, from a technical standpoint, we have a really good market underlying all this BS.
0: We got a lot of, you know, really just seems like attention and in, in conversation, nothing but what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. And obviously, you know, it's um, at the end of the day, like you and I were talking about, Russia at the root of all of this should not be invading Ukraine.
1: No, no. And but I, at the
0: end of the day, Ukraine is also not this, you know, amazing country that many people believe and feel we should be running to the rescue of and doing what we've been doing. There's been a lot of news and things. I mean, I think, I forget what her name was. I want to pull up the clip. Um, you know, in the media this last week, they were saying there's no bio, um, facilities in Ukraine. And then this woman under Congress, you you know, I think she's in Congress under US Oath was talking about we've got thirty plus bio uh, you know, kind of warfare facilities and Russia's either attacking them or going after them. And there's a lot of like the what I'm getting at is there's a lot of misinformation or mm-hmm. just propaganda flying around. Yep. And so how, how is the market responding and reacting to everything that's going on? I mean, even this last week, China basically came out and said, we are going to do what we need to do to bring Taiwan back into the Chinese fold, essentially, and that anybody that tries to get in the way is gonna you know, experience grave consequences. And so we're starting to see you know, some tension heat up there. How is the market responding to this? And how should investors, retail investors or long-term investors be thinking about what's going on on a global scale right now in terms of the war impacting, you know, short-term and long-term their investment
1: portfolio? Well, um, conflict there, uh, like I was saying to you earlier, earlier, uh, we may not agree... And there's a lot of things with Ukraine that I wouldn't agree about. They have high levels of censorship. They're, they're a developing democracy, but not a democracy like we would understand one to be like a democratic republic. Um, so there's a lot of things that, uh, that, are, that I know to be factual about Ukraine that I knew before this going on that I wouldn't say as a highlight of them. I wouldn't call it necessarily a low light, but not something I would say, oh, I, I think very favorable on that. With all that being said, Another country should not impose on another country's freedom because if you are about democracy, that's a no-no. Countries, regardless of if you disagree with them, you should allow them to make and, and govern themselves within their borders as long as they're not, you know, abusing human rights and, you know, the, our U.S. You know, political system is, is just as imperfect in different ways as, the, as Ukraine is imperfect in their, their ways. Um, I think the way that it's gonna affect the market is you're going to see a lot more saber rattling by um, powers like China and, and stuff like that. I don't know how, I mean, I'm for certain that Putin won't do anything more than he's already done, minus minus you know pound hard on Ukraine, but I don't think he has the balls or the, the reasoning to escalate to a nuclear war. His military obviously shows that they're not very good. Um, we have submarines all in that area that, within you know, twenty minutes of that, you know, happening, would respond. We would shoot that out of the air. So that's not that's not going to happen. So nuclear thing with Russia, not really too worried about that. The China and Taiwan thing, I don't know how that would even. Play out because Taiwan is armed to the teeth with US technology which is many years above Chinese uh, the Chinese military is much bigger has the same kind of idea with Russia to Ukraine but what we see is when there's resistance essentially it's going to be where you, you have to push it to a level that would make the world step in and say hey yo you, you you know conflict is conflict but you can't do this war is war but you can't you know do genocide that's a that's a thing that you know the international court obviously would, would frown upon and impose sanctions upon them and then allow other countries to go in and defend that country. Um, it ultimately always does trickle back to the U.S. economy, whatever happens in the world, because we are the world's leading economy, you know, five, tenfold over other countries. So it's going to affect our trade with trade partners. It's going to affect supply chain. It's going to affect commodity prices. Um, we just went to the grocery store last night and we normally get this like cracker it's a $1.99 for a box. It was $6 um yesterday. Damn. Yeah. Your wine and cheese and cracker habits are going up. I don't even it's it's actually they're not even um it's just a cracker my wife wanted for some salmon that she's going to have this week, you know, just $6 a, for a box of crackers.
0: Yeah. My yeah. mother-in-law said the same thing. She was like that's where it's going to hurt. My milk, my cheese, my eggs. Like, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm starting to feel these things. Obviously, Americans are feeling it at the, the gas pumps, right? The Biden pump. And is there any relief in your perspective around I, I oil? Feel,
1: yeah, it's already, you know, as we talk right now, oil's trading around $100 a barrel. It might have broken sub 100 numbers, but I haven't looked. Um, and that would be a 20% downgrade from its high of last week. I think people are starting to realize, as you also mentioned, we were only importing on a net scale around 3%. Uh, Russian oil, not 10. Yeah, a lot of people were
0: asking the question, why, why is our oil spiking so much if we don't get our oil from Russia?
1: I think because it, anytime there's fear-based selling in the market, you know, a lot of stuff happens in a, in a short amount of time and then people kind of take a step back and they've had time to think, which is what the smart people are doing. And then prices start to readjust themselves. We had the same thing with the, uh, remember like lumber when it spiked mm-hmm. out of control? Mm-hmm. Um, demand was very high for it because people said, You know, just on the face of it, Royal, uh, Royal, Russia is a large oil producer, period. Well, yeah, but we import only net about 3% of oil from them. So like on a day-to-day basis, if we lost, if we had 97% of what we are running on, we should be able to support our economy. We shouldn't be running that thin uh, of a margin on our oil. I think the other thing that keeps getting... Talked about is you have this debate of, you know, do we have oil leases available? Yes. And they're approved and they've been done by multiple administrations. But there's other things you have to get. You have to get equipment. And it's hard to get equipment of any kind right now. You have to get people to work on it. That's really hard. The state has to approve it. That's really hard. Uh, if you have a federal permit on Indian land, then you have to go through tribal council. So there's like a lot more moving pieces than just a for the Biden administration to say, you know- Go start drill. Go start drilling. Yeah. I get it. That's true if you kind of put a little asterisk there. Sure. And then you fill in the, the blanks. The flip side to that is, I don't get what the big holdup is with the, um, <clears throat> like the Keystone Pipeline. It just allows us to take in more oil from a closer trading partner. In Canada. The closer, Yeah, the closer a commodity is to you, the cheaper it is to transport it, the cheaper it is to sell it a lot of the stuff they'd be pushing through is oil sands, but that doesn't matter. We can refine the oil sands and we would still be able to get a a large amount of oil from that. And the thing that's nice about it is that's what the oil producers are saying. That's not what politicians are saying. Well, some of them are. They're regurgitating that. But the oil producers are saying, yo, if we had the Keystone Pipeline, we could take in a lot more oil from Canada regardless of what grade it is or how it needs to be refined back down. And then we would need to be less oil dependent on a lot of people. We are a net exporter of energy, folks. We we are the largest oil producer in the world. A lot of people do not know that, they don't think that. We are, by a long shot. And we have huge oil partners to the south of us and a huge oil partner to the north of us, regardless of how I feel about Canada right now. They have a ton of natural resources. They have the same problem Russia has a shitload of land that all they can do is take the natural resources out of it. And that's what they do. Um, Not to mention the natural gas basins that they have in the ocean, they're all up there. So um, I don't really get it. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But a lot of the stuff that this administration has done is not done very well. Um, And I think that the nice thing is I try to not have bias when I say that. And it really just isn't that great. The economy isn't terrible, but it's really not as good as it could be. And I think that's the thing that I could say about everything. Yeah, this isn't terrible, but God, we could have done this better. Um, And now the weakness that has been shown by the administration with our military, with how we make decisions, with how slow it is that we process things and how soft we've been, you see that these other powers, you know, Iran took, ownership for that missile attack on the US. Yeah, they
0: bombed uh, it was it, it was it was Israeli- yeah
1: well they actually what they did is they and and you know good uh, idiots they they killed a bunch of their own citizens. They they actually shot a, hit a hospital and a news station. Yes. I mean like idiots. But that kind of stuff is always
0: It just sets a around. precedent. Yeah, exactly. America's you know, leadership is
1: very weak and that and very incompetent And that's not good for our economy correct it's not it's not good for anybody's economy when you're seen as a tyrant we see that going on in russia or if you're seen as a weak person because then people take advantage of you and that's business so um it ultimately will play out in the long term the u.s economy will recover it'll be strong we're going to be fine but in the short term, I mean, this is, this is where people realize that investing is not just buy a stock that sounds sexy and, and hold it. Um, if you held any Chinese stocks, you're down 30, 40, 50%. If you had any exposure to Russia, you're down... 70, 80, 90%. BlackRock lost 17 billion
0: due to their exposure in Russia. U.S. banks owed 121
1: billion by Russian entities, so. Well, here's some stuff that isn't being reported right now, and I will tell you that came across the wire. There's a shitload of airplane leases that are in like Bermuda and all this other stuff, and they're done by Russian companies. Well, some of the Russian companies are flying them back to Russia and then re-registering them as Russian aircraft. And Boeing and Airbus are saying, yeah, we're just like, we don't think we're getting those planes back. We think they're just gonna steal those planes and we're gonna write that off. So that's gonna hit the travel sector. Um, There's a lot of crap going on right now. That's that's just like, that's why I said like, I'm so tired. I have so much information coming in. It's like, whoa, this, whoa, this, whoa, this and it just feels like it's getting back to kind of the cold war era except even worse yeah because now everybody is cutting them off yeah it, it's like everybody so i don't know how long russia can sustain it i have no idea they're not a massive economic power worldwide they really aren't it's like a big north korea so so let's
0: say that they continue down this path and we're seeing right their lifelines getting cut off by the day multiple countries you know more and more people pulling or ceasing operations or business or
1: bermuda just cut them off from flying in their airspace bermuda
0: yeah i mean you saw i saw mcdonald's mcdonald's just I, Starbucks. 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 I, I mean it's by the Sh- day right i mean
1: when oil and gas coming at goldman sachs they were the first, they said, we're cutting all of our losses in Russia. We're just taking over a billion dollar, two billion dollars, I think, in losses.
0: Better than five, 10, 15, right? Correct, because they
1: can see the long-term picture. Obviously, then- So
0: what happens, I mean, if we were to play this out with Russia continue to go down this path
1: and chop
0: themselves off at the knees-
1: Look at North Korea, and that's all I can tell you. We have one mo- We have a couple models of it. And you can look at North Korea. They're just going to become a propaganda pariah state. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't see, I mean, if the world doesn't do business with you, what do you turn into? You just turn into a North Korea. You have to steal to get your money. You launder money through illegal tr- things. You sell drugs. You, I mean, that's what they do. You know, you, you you launder cryptocurrencies, you run cryptocurrency scams, you hack people's bank accounts in other countries and steal their money. That's what they do. So they're ultimately built on a
0: crack foundation in a house of cards. Yeah. Now, we're seeing this week Russia asked China for weapons. Now, how does this relationship and proximity of Russia and China play into everything? And is there, is Russia a potential puzzle piece to China's growth and expansion of power.
1: Yeah. The problem is I just think China is going to is there. I know they're a lot smarter than Russia. They are. Um, and they're going to have to ask themselves, oh, do we want any part of sanctions like this? Because that's what's going to happen. Yeah, right. You, you can try to sanction the United States. It's not going to work very good. Um, but the U.S. can sanction you. And if the U.S. sanctions you, it's big time economic. Now the problem is, if we thought gas prices went high, if we were sanctioning China, we'd have a lot of goods go and through it. the roof. Mm-hmm, a lot, and and. The, the issue with that is most people can't afford that. There's already people in the prior...
0: Hyperinflation would just...
1: Yeah, tear. they're already paycheck to paycheck. So how And their paychecks aren't going up by the amount that goods and services are. So people are going to have to start deciding, man, I can't, I can't drive to my friend's house. It's too expensive. That sounds crazy, but I mean, that's a reality yeah, for some people. It's something I
0: was thinking about. I mean, at the end of the day, right, if people can't drive up to my hotels or spend money on leisure and travel and enjoyment. When you ship packages,
1: when you order off Amazon, um, when you use DoorDash or this stuff, I would expect to start seeing that trickle down and you're gonna feel that in your in your pocketbook. So (laughs) let's
0: talk real quick about inflation and Mm -hmm. what are you guys seeing short term,
1: long term inflation is very hot short term, which is not good. And so the indications of a recession in the near term are high. Um,
0: and for those that don't really under, like we, everybody knows what recession means, but what actually
1: qualifies or classifies a recession? I think it's a six month continuous, I always forget the specific definition, but I believe it's a six or eight, those are the two numbers that pop my head, month continuous downturn in the market and a 20% uh, drop off of the um, Twelve-month high as a correction. I believe thirty percent down over a six-month period. It would be considered a recession.
0: The working definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters, six, go, six months, months, of negative economic growth as measured by a country's GDP.
1: Which we right now we're still treading water. Um, so I don't know where. where, where we need to see interest rates get hiked. I need to see what that does to the market, which is going to happen on Wednesday. We, we you, hide your kids, hide your wife. It's going to be a quarter hide percent.
0: Kids, hide your wife. So we're seeing 25 BIPs interest
1: rates are going to go up. They're 100% going to. If they don't, I that would be very bad. Why? Um, it's already priced into the market. And then everybody would close all of those positions out that price that in so they could cut their losses and that would be very bad. So interest rates are going to go up with a 99.999% accuracy, uh, still reserving the right to be wrong in the hundreds. Um, but it's it, interest rates are going to go up by a quarter percent. They have to. They ha- They're they're going to write off 800 and about 70 to 890 billion dollars off the balance sheet this year and they're going to run another 1.1 to 1.3 trillion off the balance sheet next year. They have to raise interest rates. They got to make them that, that money back. Yep. And they need to make it in the cost of giving money out to banks and that's going to trickle back down to us where interest rates are going to go up on money and it's fine and if if interest rates go up we have a lot of room to go before money gets too expensive to start you, you know if your house is appreciating at 20% and your interest rate on your loan is 3 Your net positive 17. You are fine on that, on that effort. Bank's making money, you're making money. That's a symbiotic relationship. It gets really hairy when interest rates get, you know, eight, nine, 10% and then housing prices slow down because people can't buy them. Then we have an overage of, of inventory because people don't want to use money. That's when we have an issue. So we're getting closer to that point of it being a reality. But I think that this interest rate hike is going to surprise everybody how quickly it rains in the market. We haven't had an interest rate hike in almost three years. (sighs) Crazy. So it's going to be it's going to be a little eye opener for people but I think it's going to be something that's going to uh, make the market very happy and in the long term be really uh, good for us.
0: Well guys and this is something to think about how does this tie into okay we got your investment portfolio in terms of the stock market and the financial markets Now, how does this impact your current and potential future holdings as a real estate investor? Well, all I know is money is as cheap as it has ever been historically. And if you have the ability to park, you know, stale cash sitting on the sidelines into hard assets that you can still continue to take advantage of these history, even if they continue to, they're going to do multiple
1: rate hikes this year uh they should do at least one more and so i would expect to have a half percent minimum by the end of the year of rate hikes which include the one that should have so
0: this one will be a little bit sharper because they have some catching up to do right
1: yep this first one and i think what's probably going to happen is they're going to forecast a quarter and then right towards the end they may say we're actually going to do a half or 35 basis points something like that maybe in the middle right
0: um but at the end of the day, getting this level of cheap money and parking it into like good, getting good debt on good assets with long term timelines, this is a very smart hedge against inflation. It is a smart way to continue to build your investment portfolio. And if you're someone that has, like, this is something I'm considering right now. If you've got some dogs in your portfolio that you're like, I can't believe that house, or I can't believe that apartment building, or I can't believe that commercial strip center is worth I that, loaded. it might be a great time to explore. And now, mind you, you can 1031 exchange, right? And take some of those chips off the table and go into uh, maybe a different asset class or something of equal or greater cash flow that allows you to move up. But again, taking advantage of this cheap money, I think right now is something that many people should be considering. And if you want to, right, take some of your chips off the table. And if you decide you don't want a 1031 exchange, there's opportunity zones, there's mm-hmm. deferred sales trust. There's so many ways that you can still play this taxation game to lower your you know, amount of taxable income that would hit you. Um, Or there's still going to be opportunities, in my opinion, where I can't tell you how many people I've seen buying over the last two years that have no freaking clue what they're actually buying. They think they're getting a good Mm -hmm. deal. They could fog a mirror. They had the ability to go and get a loan from the bank and they didn't even underwrite it properly or they got a private loan or they got a second loan on it. And there's going to be opportunities, even if And this is hard for most people to even consider or think about, but some of my smartest and wealthiest mentors I know back in 2008 or 2000, you know, before the 2008 crash when the market was extremely high and they said, you know what? Yeah, I might have a little bit more runway, which right now you could make that same same argument. Real estate still has a little bit more runway. We got a little more gas in the tank, a little bit more juice to squeeze out. But they said, you know what? I don't like what's going on right now. And so I'm going to play a little bit conservative and I'm going to sell off some of my dogs. I'm going to hold my good ones that I want to hold forever, long-term. And I'm going to sell off some of my dogs and I'm going to actually pay the taxes. As much as that hurts any real estate investor to think about of selling real estate, paying taxes and potentially sitting in cash You can do that to a level of comfort in your overall portfolio. I'm not telling you to sell all your stuff and just sit in cash, right? Like stale money is a horrible idea, but it could be a small sliver of your overall net worth or your overall investment portfolio and say, you know what? Maybe I'm going to sell some of that off and maybe I'm going to move it into the markets or maybe I'm going to sell some of that off and I'm going to just sit patiently knowing that we're going to see interest rate hikes. We're going to see inflation continue to go up and we're going to see some people in terms of their, let's say, comfort level of their financials get tightened up. We've been talking about this for how many years? Two years. We said when the dust settles and helicopter money ain't dropping around anymore and we see inflation and we see interest rates go up, there's gonna be buying opportunities out there. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, I'm like, why the hell did they buy that property? Like, I don't even understand. I underwrote that property myself and there's no way that property is gonna make them financial money. And the first mistake they make in terms of operating that asset, they're gonna be in a bind. Correct. And there's going to be those types of opportunities out there. And I'm excited, to be completely honest. I am salivating. And so this is where I think it's really important to one, have, and whether you have cash on hand or you have access to cash through investors, through banks, through lines of credit, and this leads me to why Ryan and I are talking about life insurance today, because this is an amazing time to have a, one of these feathers in your cap or one of these tools on your tool belt that when it's time to deploy cash and you have a life insurance policy that you can pull on and reinvest into particular assets while still reaping all the advantages of the life insurance vehicle right what we talk about the infinite banking concept that is going to be another resource for you as an investor Mm -hmm. to go out and take advantage of opportunistic buys and i'm telling you guys i've been i've been i've been waiting i've been patiently waiting i've been buying as many assets as i can right and not stopping waiting for this moment to time the market but i've also known that every decision I make, like playing a game of chess, is getting us a little bit closer to when the queen or the king drops and falls and someone's exposed, there's gonna be opportunity to attack and go on the offensive. And I feel like that time is coming here in the next one to three years.
1: I agree. I think we've kind of forecasted mid to end of 2013 is when most- 23? Yeah, 23. I said 13, sorry guys. Um, when most of the interest rate hikes will be baked into the market. Yep. And now that there's, you know, there's kind of that's the settling spot. That means hard assets are going to start to uh, contract or, or go down to levels that are more realistic for moderate assets, which I would say is 3 to 7% compounded with low, I can't say no, but very low risk um, and, and, and tax benefits with it, which make the risk even lower. So that, that to me is how I see and I'm telling people, I don't see a crash in the market. I just think by that point, not only will inventory have had time and ample time to catch up and it will. Yep. Um, you're gonna have a lot of multifamily housing as far Big as apartment time. buildings, those are gonna be done and those will get filled. Yep. And there's gonna be less demand in the market and supply is gonna catch up and that'll start meeting itself in the middle and then prices will cool down and appreciation will cool down. Um, and then we'll be back to the normal times. Yeah. Uh, will it happen again? Most definitely. Absolutely. Will there be a real estate crash in the future? Most definitely. Yeah. We just it's just not happening now. No. It's, it's not there's no there's no data to support it. Anybody that you see that says otherwise not not on solid ground from their perspective. And I'm not the real estate guy. I'm the I'm the money guy and I'm just telling you that's not an accurate forecast. It would be there would be some sort of bias baked into that that could be explained if you could peel back the layers of the onion. Yeah,
0: and don't don't get me wrong, guys. I'm not telling you to to sell everything and sit in cash and to to hoard your money and to Sound be like scared Robert and Kiyosaki. to wait for people to, you know, be losing their homes and for, you know, the real estate bottom to fall out. Like I'm I'm not saying that by any means. What I'm saying is to have a contingency plan that you actually have the ability to execute on when it happens. Like it's like, right? The insurance policy. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to die, but I want to have that in place. So that way if something were to happen, right? Like all the things that matter to me are taken care of. And my family's, yeah. you know, got what they need and all of those things, right? Same thing of like, I don't want to see the real estate market and families and our economy and people being in a really rough spot but I'm gonna have a little bit of a nest egg and some things that I'm okay with, you know, that sitting on the sideline, or you don't even have to have stuff sitting on the sideline. It's just having the right relationships and resources available to you mm-hmm. to be able to capitalize on those things. And that could be creative real estate, right? That could be banking relationships. So it's not just money, it's investing in relationships, it's investing in your education, right? Like. In 2010 and 11, one of the ways that I built my rental portfolio was I, was I had no fucking money, but I was doing subject twos and I was doing mortgage wraps and I was doing seller carrybacks. And those were ways that, right? I was doing mailing campaigns to people that, you know, wanted to private lend money to me. And that's how I started flipping houses. So it doesn't just have to be money sitting on the sideline. I want to be very clear of that, but have a plan and have all of the proper pieces of the puzzle available to you so that when the picture comes together, you're ready to move forward on actually bringing that to life and taking advantage of that. And we're going to see a lot of those opportunities over the course of the next five or so years. And I want to make sure that you guys are getting the ability to at least start thinking about it now, right? Because if you start thinking about it, when it actually happens, you're already behind the, the curve. And so why I think right now is a great time to be investing in a life insurance policy is for that exact reason. And so I wanted to ask you, because we get a lot of people that have reached out, taken advantage of the free financial x-ray that you and your team do. And for those that aren't aware of what the free financial x-ray is, what
1: is? We'll do a full review of your current assets. You got to already have something kind of set up investment accounts. Um, Maybe you're with another advisor and you want to just take a look at it. Uh, the main things that we normally see are people are getting charged fees that they don't know about and there's just underperformance due to excessive fees um, because if you're trying to you know, beat a benchmark and you're essentially just buying what the benchmark is and somebody's charging you fees, you're not going to be meeting that benchmark because you got layered fees on there. Maybe there's commissions. Maybe you didn't know that you were put into something that's illiquid. Then um, we'll do a review on that. And if there's a way to improve what you're currently doing, we will offer that to you. And if you take advantage of that, we'll go ahead and implement that for you. Um, If there's no cost, no obligation, And it's a really good way to take a look at what you're doing and make sure that it's what's best for you. Because ultimately, as a fiduciary, that's what I have to make sure in everything that I do. Everything that I do for my clients or anybody that talks to me is in their full best interest.
0: So all you have to do, text the word X-ray to 844-447-1555. Ryan and his team will uh, reach out to you and uh, get you guys dialed in. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network but we've been getting a lot of people that have been asking about infinite banking, life mm-hmm. insurance. And I think right now is a great time to kind of revisit that. And for those that aren't familiar with, like most people just think like life insurance, right? Like yeah. if I die, Somebody my gets family money. gets money, right? So give us the overall broad concept of what life insurance is and why it's
1: such a valuable tool to an investor's portfolio. Yeah, so... Um Life insurance is like you said, it's a it's a hedge of, or it's a protection. Um, the most common type that people see on TV or online advertise is gonna be term insurance because you know, every hundred thousand dollars of term insurance, it may be ten to twenty dollars a month to pay for that. So it's very cheap. There's no cash value. That is the insurance that in most cases, and for lack of you know, getting too complicated, if you pass away. You get your beneficiaries get a death benefit. And I have term insurance and I think it's great. Uh, then there is permanent life insurance, which builds cash value. And then under that umbrella, there's typically two areas that people um, look into in the fixed insurance world, which has no risk of loss. And that's whole life insurance and universal life insurance. Um, if you were to Google infinite banking or become your own banker or or any of those little popular monikers, you would come across a lot of stuff talking about people using whole life insurance for infinite banking. Whole life insurance, um, essentially you give your money to an insurer, they invest that money in their general fund, which is primarily going to hold bonds, investment grade bonds. It's going to be between 93 and 96% investment grade bonds. And they're required to do that because regulators give them ratings based on the um, riskiness of their portfolios. Um, Based on how that portfolio does, and then what's called their mortality and expense costs. How many of their policyholders paid their premiums? How many of their policyholders died? How many people took loans out of their policy? All that stuff factors into the mortality and expense costs on insurance policies. They will then decide every year how much of a dividend can be paid to their policyholders. And most companies for the long term, we're talking 20, 30 years, um, have been aggressively lowering their dividend rate. If you were to Google whole life dividend history, you can see that there's a lot of the popular companies were paying, you know, 10%, maybe 15, 20 years ago, and now they're paying 5 or 6%. So they've lowered their dividends because they're getting more and more people and interest rates have been very low. So that's affecting those types of policies. Then there's universal life. And most of the time that I work with my clients, I use universal life. And that is a different, essentially it was designed after whole life and took whole life and then in my opinion and a lot of other people's opinions improved it and said, a lot of people don't care about as much guarantees. You know, you don't you don't buy um, you don't buy insurance policies most of the time for the guarantees because a lot of times the guarantees don't ever get enforced because they're worst case scenarios. You buy it for the the non the non assumed guaranteed. Hey, dividends are not guaranteed, but a whole life insurance company will show you getting the same dividend rate forever. That's probably not going to happen. Um, I normally use Universal Life and then I index that to a market index, the S&P 500, maybe an index managed by a large money manager like Fidelity or Bank of America or Goldman Sachs. And they'll manage that money in that index and not take any risk on us and they'll either give us what's called a cap, which is a maximum rate of return, or a participation rate, which is how much do we participate in the growth of that index. each year based on the movement of that index, we would get credits. I would say the biggest difference is in a year like maybe this year, um, where maybe people bought a policy at the end of last year, they may get lower credits than they expected because we had a little bit of a dip in the market. But long term, those policies make far more in rates of interest than a whole life insurance policy. Um, and tend to actually, in years like this or the following, be the best couple years to buy them. Because like 2018, um, that's when we were in that trade war with China. You got your policies at the beginning of 2019. Mm-hmm. So that was like right after a little bit of a market dip. Yep. And you have done multiple percentages better than we anticipated. And mainly because of the timing, but also because the product has done what it said it's going to do. Right. Um, That's the idea. And then after the crediting is done is the most important part. When you go to take money out of life insurance, it's the same exact way. There's a lot of people that will shine up a bunch of BS. Oh, you know, it's what the Rockefellers used to do. Or um, the popular one that I hear is when you take your money out, you earn uninterrupted compounding interest. Load of bullshit. Not true. You should highly avoid anybody who makes videos like that. Or if they have a program that you have to pay to be a part of or sign up to be a part of and they're not willing to give it as public information, that's red flags. Why would you not just talk about it? It's just tax code. It's the publicly available tax code, 7702. IRC 7702 governs all life insurance. Go bore yourself to death and read it, but I'll summarize it for you. (laughs) It says that life insurance policies, as long as they meet the corridor test which is another fancy thing that insurance companies do for you, when you take money out of them via a loan, you can earn interest as long as your policy earns more interest than your loan cost. Simple as that, guys. Wow, holy crap. Nobody's ever said it like that. The problem with the whole life insurance world, and this is what a lot of those agents don't talk about and why I'm chastised and thought as a misnomer, Those policies tend to have loan rates that are A, they're not capped like they are on universal life, which means that they have a limit, and B, they tend to be one, two, and sometimes up to 4% higher in loan cost than the dividend paid. So are you getting paid a dividend? Yes. But I will just do some simple math for you. If you have a 5% dividend and then you go to use that money and you are charged 8%, who makes money? The insurance company, you would have a negative arbitrage of 3%. Or even if your dividend rate is 6% and your loan cost is 6%. You're not making any money. You're not losing any money, but that's a wash loan. But that's what I would call that, right? When that happens on a policy and you continuously take loans out and you don't earn interest on them, that bears a negative arbitrage against your policy. And if your policy does not have enough cash value, it will lapse. And if you've taken loans out that you've not paid back and your policy lapses, uh, you will get a 1099 for what's called phantom income. Income received non-taxable that should have been taxable. And that will not be a fun day for you to deal with. I've dealt with that about three times in my career. All of them whole life insurance policies, all of them elderly people. And we're talking multi-million dollar ten 1099s mm. all in one year. So we flip over to the other side of the spectrum, universal life. Why do I use it? They tell you your loan costs right up front. The policy that I tend to use has a cap of 6% and a floor of three. So I know right out the gate, minimum cost on my money is three, maximum cost on my money is six. I think currently the rate charged on that policy is 3%. My policy is a little older and is in a different tranche, and I'm paying three and a half percent if I take loans out. Um, Then on top of that, not only is my policy in most years, earning a positive arbitrage when I take loans, I have the data, actual audited data through 2000, the year 2000 through 2019. And if I would have taken a loan out of my policy, every year, four times, I would have had an interest rate charged to me because I would have not got enough credit to cover my loan. But my average arbitrage paid on my policy over a 19-year period of it would have been 3.58%. That means that I would be getting paid 3.58% interest to purchase my real estate, which is where I like to use debt to buy cash flow. So for example, instead of using hard money or a traditional loan, which requires some sort of underwriting or proving that you have worthiness, you just go take a loan out of your life insurance policy. And then whatever your life insurance policy earns it goes against the loan cost. So let's say the loan cost is 3% and your policy makes 6. 6 minus 3 is 3. On the loaned portion of money, you would make 3%, which is a really crazy concept when you go to think about it because if you're a successful real estate investor, if you make any money on the money that you're leveraging while you're using it to make cash flow, right, that's a huge Oof. advantage. then that's That's the whole concept of infinite banking. The problem with it is there's a lot of guys that sell the products, insurance pays commissions. Almost all the people that sell them are not fiduciaries like I am. They're just insurance agents and they don't have to act in your best interest. They're not legally required to like I am. So a lot of these people put lots of money into these policies because they require a fair amount of funding. I mean, I just set one up not too long ago, that was a quarter million dollars a year. That's a lot of money going into a product. But and if somebody thinks that it works one way and it doesn't, that's a big deal. So here's the reasons I don't sell whole life. No flexibility. Why do you think they're called whole life? How long do you think you got to? Oh life. How, how long do you think you got to pay for those bad boys? <laughs> uh, not necessarily your whole life, but uh, they're structured on seven long-term. seven-year minimum with no flexibility. So yeah. it's like a mortgage, the minimum you're gonna pay to seven years. Yeah. And then there's still gonna be policy charges for at least 13 years after that, meaning they're gonna be deducting what are called APLs, automatic premium loans against your policy. Um, that's the first reason. Second, I don't want a company deciding how much money they pay me after they make money. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a hint, they're gonna pay you less and less and less, and we have history to show us that. Yeah. So I don't want somebody getting in between my crediting and my money. And third, if I need to add more money to a policy, I don't want to have to take out a brand new life insurance policy. I just want to take the current policy I have and change it to accept more money. Those are three big reasons that I don't use whole life insurance. Three big reasons why I use universal life. My premiums are flexible. I can add more or I can add less to a certain level. I'm going to get a floor on my premium when I set up my funding amount. Second, I don't have anybody messing with how much money my policy makes. If I have 100% participation on the S&P with no cap and the S&P makes 31%, 31% will go to my policy with no risk. If I have a 10% cap on the S&P 500 and the S&P makes 15%, i am making all 10% with no risk. Everything is cut and dry and clear right up front. Third reason, I have a fixed loan cost that I then can make quantifiable assumptions on long-term. If I wanted to do a pro forma on my uh, loan arbitrage, I would just cap it at 6%. I know that's the worst it can be, so why don't I just run my pro forma at 6%? Yep. Say, if I, my policy's loan is always at 6%, what, how much interest can I earn quantifiably? And you'd still be sitting at 2%. That would be the average arbitrage paid at 2%. So that's the whole secret behind the insurance game. It's not as complicated as people make it or as dark and only the rich people can do it. That's a load of bullshit. It takes a lot of money. You should be younger when you do it, preferably under the age of 55. And you should be willing to season or capitalize your policy fairly well with a lot of money before you start lending out of it. Do not call me and say, I'm going to put 20,000 bucks in my policy for three years and I want a $100,000 loan. It doesn't work that way.
0: So let's talk about that real quick. You know What is the best amount of capital to start with or suggested amount of capital to start with? What are the levels of monthly contributions that make sense for someone that you know is maybe in their 30s or 40s and is suggested that they, you know, earmark, you know, funds accordingly for and maybe we can circle up on maybe some real life examples of people that have been doing this intelligently and how they've actually yeah. full circle taken advantage of the vehicle the way it should be taken advantage of.
1: Most of my clients do around $30,000 a year. That's $2,500 a month if you want it on a monthly scale. And I recommend paying your policy monthly. The only reason an insurance agent would tell you to pay your premiums annually is because the insurance company forwards you all the full full commission up front if you pay it annually. So there's that fucking myth busted. Hmm. Um, Paying it monthly is better. It just is. Well, what is money, what's the time value of money? Right. Now is worth, if I put all my money into a policy, which I'm already going to do, there's no APR, well there is on whole life <laughs> to pay monthly. <laughs> there's no APR on universal life to pay monthly. So why wouldn't I just pay, it's the same amount of money and I get to bleed it in over 12 months. And if something happens, I can kick my premium down and I can react to that
0: because mm-hmm.
1: life is gonna happen. So most of my clients are doing that. If I have somebody that wants to use their policy, uh, I'll give you a typical. I have a 35-year-old male uh, wants to use his policy within in the year three and wants to have seventy-five thousand dollars available to lend against. That person would probably need to put about fifty thousand dollars a year for three years. <clears throat> Excuse me, to then lend against that policy at that level. The one thing that gets people and tricks them about whole life, and it is an advantage of whole life is if you put money in, you normally can take most of that money out, probably about 80% of it, um, back out in a loan immediately. And you would need to be scratching your head on how or why you can do that. Um, and the main reason is, is because they've just locked you into guaranteeing them that you can't change your premium for yeah. 20, 30 or 40 years. Right. And so they really don't care if you take the money back out because they're going to account for you giving them that. And when you can't in the future, that's when they're going to drag you over the coals. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure you, you connect those dots because even the policy that I would be using in accordance to that has downfalls and pitfalls that you should be well aware of. And the thing that I would say is the most, the most telling is if you don't hear somebody that talk about a product in the way that I'm talking about it, where it's good, bad, and the ugly, and they're only saying how good it is, and they're only saying this, and they, and they only sell that product, that should be a big red flag to you. Yeah, uh, If somebody hasn't been doing uh, life insurance for at least five years, don't buy a policy from them at, at that level or use it like that. That's, they don't know what they're doing. Um, me and you both <laughs> know of somebody that hasn't even, hasn't even been doing the thing for 12... Hasn't delivered one annual policy review and sells life insurance like they are the uh, be-all, end-all. So you have to just be very careful. Um, of who you get your advice from and what is their intention. I work with primarily real estate investors. I'm on somebody's real estate podcast talking about money and I happen to manage that real estate investor's money and he knows everything that I'm talking about to be true. He even has a couple of the policies himself. And we were joking, it wasn't his cash cow this year and we never planned it to be, right? but I think we assumed your policy to make six and a half percent and it's sitting somewhere north, three or 3% north of that. When stuff happens like that, that's a big deal. And for some real life experiences, we have a mutual client that we were just talking about before this podcast. They took a loan out of their policy. That loan over a 12-month period uh, cost three and a half percent. Excuse me. I'm going to round up to four though. Gosh, I got allergies coming in. Um, that person's policy, because it was a really great year, made almost fifteen percent in interest. And I'm gonna round up to fifteen percent for my example. Fifteen minus four is eleven percent, and that's approximately what they made on that loan, and it was a six-figure loan. And so they got credited almost fifteen thousand dollars on their policy, and all they did was buy cash flow with it. The policy the property was cash flowing. They had already refinanced the property and paid the loan back. So that money was used and had already been rinsed and put back in. And they had reloaned it back out. (laughs) And I kid you not, they made 15 grand on their money while their money was being used to buy them thousands of dollars a month of cash flow.
0: And the uh, equity upside that they were oh. capturing in that process, right? And that's where I love life insurance. There's so many benefits and values to it of not only it just earning money for you while you're earning money on a cash-flowing asset, right? But now you're, depending on what you're buying with that when you draw on it,
1: you're getting all at least. Let's just keep it in
0: the you know.
1: I would use, I would say the for, vein of real estate. Most people use it for real estate. Yeah, right? and I would I would say an expectation to bake in is you're making two to three percent a year on your money while you're using it. Right, and that's that's completely reasonable. And sometimes it's going to jump above that, and most of the time it's going to be that level. Yeah, and, and that's
0: just icing on the cake, in my opinion, right? Because I'm still getting the, the death benefit. I'm getting that two to three
1: percent. I'm going and buying cash flow in real estate. Which, well, and not to not to even forget this, like in the back end, when you're done and you're retired and maybe you're done using it, you stop paying into the policy right. when you choose not the insurance company yeah. and you liquidate all the death benefit and cash value in tax-free, a tax-free income stream. So now you're not only increasing your, you're kind of saving for yourself in the long term, but you have this banking vehicle that you're going to use as a way to build your whole net worth up. And if you kind of look at you know, how do we get to a 0% tax bracket when we're retired? Mm -hmm. If you have a brokerage account, a life insurance policy and real estate, and even a small qualified investment account, you could pull from all of those accounts and not pay any taxes because none of your life insurance money is going to be taxable. You have so much real estate at that point, your depreciation is so high, so you're in the red. So when you take withdrawals from your qualified account, even though it goes as income, you have red to offset it. Yep. And because you're still in the red and you take distributions from a brokerage account, let's say you're married and you make less than $88,000, you have no capital gains. Yeah. Yeah, I was hey. gonna say, I mean, you- it, It's it, really it, like, that's the, I try to do that with all my clients. And I don't, it just blows my mind. I had this guy call in, hopefully he's listening. Um, I'll say where he's from, but not his name, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Nice guy. Has, um, has some performing notes, has a syndication, has a ton of real estate and has almost the exact same amount of money in the stock market. He was like, you're the first advisor that is really just, why don't we just do both? He goes, I get one or the other. I get a real estate guy that, that poo poo's on my stock portfolio. And I'm like, I'm, he has like literally a stock portfolio with a $200,000 cost basis and a million dollar value. That's paying him. $80,000 a year in passive income. So I just want to i just want to let you guys know, I got a guy that's done both of them. And he literally said, the smartest thing that I ever did was both. Why would all, and he know what he realized? Rich people do both. Yeah. So why don't I do both? Only the person that sells the one will tell you the one is the better thing to do. Exactly.
0: Today. And I was going to say, thats that's the beauty of why our symbassy works so well, right? Because yeah. I'm not like, no, it's only real estate, forget the stock market. And you're not like, forget real estate, it's only the stock market. Correct. We know that together, those two things compound wealth so much faster. They protect your downside so much further. And ultimately, right, they unlock so many
1: more benefits together than separately. And I think the fair thing to say is they do the same thing differently. They yeah. make you wealthy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, they just do the same thing differently. Yep. And like, I never know when you go to see like an army commander, they don't walk in with a freaking rifle and say, great, I have my gun. I'm ready to go. They have multiple items on their gear list that, yeah, if I get in a firefight, I don't need my backpack and blanket. But when I'm not doing that, I need to rest and recharge. So I'm ready for the next one. It's all of these items that we have on us. And, and I, I always say the quiver and having multiple arrows When you have all of your stuff in order with your real assets, with your traditional assets, and then potentially working with somebody that understands the value of real assets and how they can work together, that's a really strong combination because now not only do you have a true holistic financial plan and advisor, I'm connected with somebody that I know is quality. If he can't work with you, he'll find somebody that can help. Our network is our net worth. So you have all these professionals that are doing the right thing. We're in the areas that people want to be in. And we don't have, I don't have a a class. You just text X-ray to 844-447-1555, or in your case, deals to 844-447-1555 as long as you're an accredited investor. If you don't know what that is, Google it, and you probably shouldn't be texting anyway if you don't know what that is. When you make that amount of money and you need to deploy that capital, eventually the stock market becomes a stale place to put it. You have enough there. Why don't you feed something else to then feed back to the stock market? Vice versa. That's how it works. There, it's how it works. One time, at some point, your real estate's the rhino and your stock market's the bird on its back and vice versa. Yep. But at all times, working in sympathy.
0: Uh, so I'm 33. You're 30? 30. And I'm just excited to see what this is going to look like we're, when we're, we've been doing this consistently well into our 50s. Oh, yeah. Like it is. And this is, again, guys, like... You know, you're, you're not gonna see us on the hype gang. Like, do we look at NFTs? Do we look at crypto? Do we look at this or that? Or, yeah, yeah of course we do. We like that kind of stuff too. Like, it's fun to learn fun and to grow. To and there's, but at the end of the day, we like betting on proven vehicles that over an extended period of time, we know we're gonna win. Yeah, I want the same shit Kevin I O'Leary has. I want to win, right? And <laughs> yeah. ultimately, I know that. All I have to do is to be disciplined enough over the next 20 years that by the time I am 53, I can do whatever the fuck I want with whoever the fuck I want, whenever the fuck I want because I had the discipline and the vision ultimately, right? Like you don't know what you don't know. And as I started getting around smart money, wealthier people, I'm like, oh, like that's not really that exciting. That's not really that sexy but as you start to see when discipline over an extended period of time what that unlocks it becomes sexy to you and that therefore you're so much more bought into the plan of just doing it, it's repetition yeah right and this is at least in terms of wealth if you know if you can be the lightning in a bottle and the facebook and the you know Amazon, like, great. Like, I, I want to see those people win. But at the end of the day, the reality of wealth building for 99.9% of the population
1: mm-hmm.
0: is you have to do the unsexy stuff for an extended period of time. And why 99.9% of the population can't get wealthy is because they don't have the discipline to do the boring shit over and over and over again for decades. Correct. And so you can get impatient. You can get there way faster. Like there's ways of doing it. And that's why we talk about this holistic connection and how those two fuse together. It's juicing, getting you to milestones of your wealth building journey a little bit faster. And that's why we like talking about these things. Mm-hmm. That's why we like giving you guys, you know, the space to come in here and start thinking about how this ties into where you're at. And sometimes you might already be doing great, but you could be doing better. You might be able to, you know, get to that next milestone of wealth or passive income or, you know, benefit a lot faster if there's some symbiosis with other parts of your portfolio and plan that you might be missing. And so I'm always looking for those ways to continue to sharpen that financial ax. And that's why I love, because Ryan is always digging deeper and deeper and deeper into his financial world and his yep. ecosystem of what those things are. Because you got to be able to adapt. You got to be able to pivot. You got to know that nothing is finite and fix forever, but at the end of the day, there is some very common denominators that are deep in the foundation of wealth that are really hard to be rocked and unrooted. And therefore, you can count on those, and also be looking to find ways to fill in gaps, to buffer out, you know, the rough edges of your plan or your policies or your, you know, uh, real estate portfolio. And that's what we're constantly looking to do, and that's what we'll consistently keep talking about with you guys. And of course, 100%. you know. We'll talk about uh, Donald Trump's episode of the Nelk Boys on the podcast getting pulled down by YouTube every once in a while, too. Good Lord. Uh, censorship at its finest. But with that being said, guys, we love you. We love our Millionaire Mindcast family. If you guys want to take advantage of the free financial x ray, shoot us a text at 844 447 1555 to connect with Ryan and his team. If you are an accredited investor, you want to get invested into my syndications and passive investment vehicles. You can text the word deals to 844-447-1555. If you enjoy the show, all we ask is that you subscribe, share it with a friend, a family member, tag us on social media, and don't forget to leave a five-star review and whatever podcasting platform you guys enjoy listening to this content on. With that being said, we'll see you guys in next week's episode. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Wealth Building Wednesday. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. If you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you either leave a review on whatever podcasting platform you enjoy listening to this content on or share this with somebody that you know can gain some insight, some value from it. One of the things that you guys know about Ryan and I is you know, we definitely won't say we have all the answers and we definitely won't say we know it all. We just wanna bring conversation to the areas, the topics that we believe are really important to bring attention and awareness to to help you sharpen your axe, put more tools on your tool belt, weaponize you to make the best decisions that align not only with your financial goals, right, but your lifestyle goals. So, if you guys wanna take advantage of Ryan's free financial x ray on your investment portfolio, all you have to do is text the word x ray to 844 447 1555. Most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective, or really in most cases, overcharged, and whether or not their current investment plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish and by when. And this is something Ryan does for all of our listeners for free. So be sure to take them up on that X-ray, one word to 844-447-1555. Also, if you are someone who is serious about building your wealth and you're already kind of established, but you wanna surround yourself with other like-minded, high-net-worth individuals, be sure to text WEALTHCAMP, one word, to 844-447-1555 to learn more about our intimate five-star experiences with other like-minded business owners and investors to cross-pollinate, to hear what they're doing and to have a whole, a whole hell of a lot of fun while we're doing it. And last, if you wanna know more about consulting or getting mentorship directly from me or from Ryan, you can learn more by texting the word MENTOR to 844-447-1555. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next Keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friends.